What a great, great God. What a great God today. So thankful for him. If you have your Bibles, you can turn, or if you just want to look, just one verse of Scripture might be easier for you to follow along on the screen. Genesis 3 and 12. Genesis 3 and 12. We'll continue along in our uh, series on who's to blame. So Genesis 3 and 12, one verse. And the man said, that's why men should never talk. See, women are always trying to get us to talk. We should just, and the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. So today we're going to continue with our series on who's to blame and we're going to talk about blaming family. Amen, family. Let's pray for our lesson today. Lord, we love you so much. Thankful, God, for the truth that you give us, for leading us and guiding us. We thank you for your word. Teach us today. Let us hear what you would say to us, Lord. We're going to praise you for it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. What a great God. Thankful for him today. Hallelujah. You can be seated. God bless you this morning. We talked, you know, we had our little intermission with VBS. So uh, just kind of to refresh, we started out with the fourth lesson first because I just felt like it would be in order to to remind us that, that Jesus took our blame when he went to the cross and uh, bore our sins on the cross uh, he took the blame for us. He did no wrong. He did no sin. And yet he went willingly and did that for us so that we could uh, learn to take responsibility for ourselves. Uh, our idea today is that because Jesus Christ took our blame, now we must assume responsibility for our own choices and refuse to blame our heritage for our disobedience. It's a big thing uh, in the world today. The blame game is big in the world today. And we see that uh, Adam speaking in our opening scripture that he said, the woman that thou gavest me, he's talking to God, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And we know that there are going to be challenges in every life. That's It doesn't matter who we are. You can be raised as this uh, the story of Adam and Eve would tell you, you can be raised in the best of environments and still have things that you will encounter. And in our life today, we do have uh, challenges that we encounter with our family dynamic, but we can, somebody's got to say we can, rise above and we can be everything that God wants us to be. It's easy to say, well, I was just born into this, and I had no choice in the matter. And I understand that there are things that happen. We'll, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but to be and to reach our very full potential that God has for each and every individual, we must cease now, stop blaming our family. Hello. When we think about Adam and Eve and uh you know, you look at their story, we can see the precise moment that everything fell apart. 
Before that day, everything was perfect for them. They were in paradise. The garden was created by God, and the Bible says it consisted of every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. They had everything that they needed there. It was the land where the first man and woman would live a paradise unlike anything that we have ever experienced since and without. It didn't have thorns, didn't have thistles, didn't have anything that would hurt you. There was no storms there, no tornadoes, no monsoons, no earthquakes, no destruction of any kind. It was truly paradise, but it all ended for them on that day. Paradise, the perfect place, a perfect man, perfect woman. He had the perfect job, lived in the perfect environment, but that would cease to exist on that day. God, the creator of the garden, has specified they should not eat of one particular tree. Out of everything in the garden, just one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Of all the other trees, they could eat freely as they so desired. Only of this tree they were not supposed to partake. And so we know that Eve ate the forbidden fruit. She took from that tree and she ate of it. And then she gave the fruit to Adam who also ate of it. And there were consequences to their disobedience. They were banished from living in the garden. And in contrast to a life of tranquility, living outside would be very harsh for them, outside of paradise, outside of Eden. And that was the result of their sin. But that's not all. And as tragic as it was for Adam and Eve and all humanity uh, to be all of us negatively impacted because of their decision, Paul wrote, by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for all or for that all have sinned. Just because of one man, all this trouble entered into the world. And now thousands of years later, uh, humanity bears the marks of Adam and Eve's decision to partake of the forbidden fruit. That fateful moment when the first man and first woman ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil has affected every life from that point on. But we must be careful not to do as Adam and Eve did. I'm not talking about just the disobedience. To, uh, if we follow suit with them, then it would lessen our chances of ever breaking free of obtaining the fulfillment of God's plan and purpose for our lives. We must not only strive to live a life of obedience, but we must refrain from doing what Adam and Eve did after they had eaten the fruit. When God asked Adam, Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou should not eat? Adam replied, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord said to Eve, What is this that thou hast done? She replied, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. They did not lie to God about what they did. They did, however, fail to take responsibility. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. And not only did Adam blame Eve, he kind of blamed God. Because he said, uh, hey, just so you know, it was the woman you gave me. I just thought I was taking a nap. I woke up, there she was. And this woman that you gave me, now she's pretty, and whew, but 
if you had never given me this woman, I would never go near that tree. And so it'd be easy for us to say, man, why do I have to, you know, I've lived my whole life. I've never smoked, drank, cussed, fought, lied, stole. Man, I helped people across the street. I, I, you know, I I was a Boy Scout. I I hadn't done anything wrong. Why do I have to be blamed for Adam? And and I'm good. And it'd be easy to just... well, for us to just keep blaming and blaming and blaming, but the scripture already tells us that at our best state, as good as we can be, man is already vanity. You can never be good enough to be like Adam was before that fall. It doesn't matter how you're born, what you do. Man, somebody could birth you in the church and you never leave the outside of it. Listen to preaching and scripture 24 hours a day, every day. Never, ever, ever even see the outside but you're still born under that curse. And so uh, we don't want to be caught up in the blame game like Adam and Eve were. This is the woman. God kind of on you a little bit too. You know, uh, and then Eve like, oh, it was the serpent. Yeah, we did all this, but it was somebody else's fault. Always somebody else's fault. But for him, God did not create us without free will, without the power of choice, without the power to make the right decisions. It would have been just as easy for Eve to say, no, God said no. It would have been just as easy for Adam to say, tell Eve, no, God said no. And it would have been just as easy for them to just admit, say, we blew it. But instead, they did it, they did it. They made me do it. They made me do it, blaming everybody else instead of taking responsibility for what they had done. Adam and Eve blaming each other uh, is a great lesson on what we should not do. You know, the Bible tells us there are things that are in Scripture that are for our examples, even the things that go wrong. Yes, we have great examples of faith, but we also have examples of, hey, you don't do this. You know, or you're going to wind up in trouble. And so, you know, we see that through Adam, you don't disobey. When God says don't touch that, then you don't touch it. Well, I've created God's image. I'm, man, I'm, I'm man. I have dominion in this place. And if I want to eat of that tree, I'll do it. We'll see. Because God didn't make us uh, with free will so we could just disobey him. It would be possible, but that's not what he wants us to do. Adam and Eve wanted to blame somebody else. They wanted to be the victim of somebody else's wrongdoing instead of accepting the responsibility for their own actions. At the root of this, deflecting responsibility was a blatant attempt to ignore their need to acknowledge their disobedience to God. Nobody ever wants to say, hey, I I was disobedient. I disobeyed God. Somebody else made me do it. Don't work like that. Nobody can just force you to make those. The pressure can be on, but you still have the ability to choose. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The pressure's on. Furnace is seven times hotter. We're going to throw you in it. Got a choice. I can go in the furnace or I can worship this false idol. They chose to go to the furnace. 
It can be excruciating. It can be terrible. It can be gut-wrenching, but still the choice is ours. Blaming is the fine art of making others responsible for all of the difficult things that have happened to us. And in this day and age, it appears that humanity has refined what Adam and Eve started. Oh, it's in everything we do now. It's in this culture. It's in our politics. One party blames the other. They come in and they, they, they inherit a mess. Well, they, they, they're like, well, we didn't do all this. We inherited this. It's, they blame past presidents and past leaders, and, and it was their fault. It was their fault. It was that country's fault. Or, you know, culture, it was their fault. It was their fault. It was their fault. It was their fault. Never living in the presence, always blaming somebody else for what happened. It's not what it's supposed to be. And we've all done it. And don't even think you hadn't. You know, even as a, especially as a child growing up, not me. Who broke this? Not me. So-and-so was in the room. I don't know who, who it was. It was Will. <laughs> you know, he's a baby. You blame him. He can't talk yet. Can't defend himself, so you blame the baby. You, you know, you, you, I don't, hey, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to lose my bicycle or my BB gun, so he done it. I'm the middle child. I'm the favorite. I'm the best. I, I didn't do that. I want to lose that status. We blame others today because we live in an environment, in an, in an environment where it's accepted. It's accepted and it's practiced. We blame others because Adam and Eve did it. We do it because it's in our DNA. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. We blame, just fill in the blank, whatever it happens. Adam and Eve's decision to partake of that which was forbidden impacted their lives in a major way and also impacted the lives of their children. There's no doubt the impact that it had, but we still have free will. So instead of growing up in paradise, Adam and Eve's children grew up in a harsh environment, and instead of harmony, life was filled with fragmentation. This, you know, Cain could say, well, I would have never killed Abel if they hadn't messed up in the garden. But even God had already told Cain, said, look, if you do well, you're accepted, but if not, sin's waiting at the door. The choice is still yours, Cain. You're upset, your emotions are getting the best of you, and you want to blame you're, you're, you're going to kill Abel, but blame Abel because you, you didn't like his sacrifice. You didn't like what he was doing. So just the blame just kept rolling. And so today, uh, in many ways, we are all impacted by our families. There's no doubt about it. You grow up with a family, you're impacted. Negative generational patterns, cycles of destructive behavior, ways of thinking are passed on from one generation to another. Moms and dads are affected by what their moms and dads did. And those mom and dads negatively affect the next generation. And so it goes on and on. But it does not have to be that way. Generational patterns can be broken. If we don't believe that, then just go ahead and, and check out of the church because you don't even believe what the scripture says, that all things can be made new, that people can be new creatures in Christ. I didn't say they wouldn't have struggles. 
But I said we are more than conquerors. We are overcomers. We are victorious. Time and time again, God has let us know that I will deliver you from that old life, that if we get the mind of Christ, we have the ability to be better than what this world has laid out for us. And we don't have to blame anybody else for what we've done. For this to happen, we must first cease blaming the previous generation. We've got to stop blaming our mama, stop blaming our daddy, stop blaming our grandparents. You can't do that. We've got to stop blaming our spouse. Don't blame your husband or your wife. Free will. When you got married, you didn't become a robot. You didn't become, yeah, you you still have that free will to make the choices. The blame game will not help you move forward, and it will not break negative patterns. It does not help us move beyond repeating what the previous generation did. It just puts us right in sync with them. The blame game is counterproductive to what God wants us to do in our life. And I will show you that God has made allowance and said that it does not have to be that way. In the book of Ezekiel uh, 18, one of my favorite, favorite uh, passages of Scripture, uh, I've never preached on it with this context, but it w- I was reminded of it while studying for this, and, it, and I thought it would fit well here. In Ezekiel 18 and 14 through 17, he says, Now if a man beget a son, and he sees all his father's sins which he has done, And he considers and does not such like. In other words, he sees everything that his dad is doing wrong, but he thinks about that. That's not right. And decides, I'm not going to do that. That has not eaten upon the mountains, not lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, not defiled his neighbor's wife, neither has oppressed any, not withholding the pledge, neither spoiled by violence, but he has given his bread to the hungry and covered the naked with a garment that has taken off his hand from the poor, has not received usury nor increase, has executed my judgment, has walked in my statutes. He will not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live. He does not have to be in the same state as his father. It is his choice. He can do as his father did, or he can say, it says he considers it. He lines it up with what he knows about God, knows about this life. That's not right, and I'm not going to do those things. And he becomes different than his dad because he has chosen what is right, and now he is going to live. He makes the decision not to be like, even though he grew up in that household, even though he was nurtured in that household and affected in that household, he can consider for himself, is this right Or is this wrong? Is this what the Lord would want? Or is it not? And he can make the decision so he can live and not die for the iniquity of his father. The only way he gets the iniquity of his father is if he chooses to take it on in his lifestyles and his actions. In verse 20 it says this, that the soul that sinneth it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, and neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. And in verse 5 it says, But if a man be just, and do that which is lawful and right. So you can be lawful and right no matter how you grew up. 
It's, it's a choice. You can be better than where you grew up. You know, we hear stories, maybe not so often sometimes, but we hear stories of people breaking out of those kind of things all the time, that they grew up homeless, but now they're wealthy and they have a good life and a good family. They, they were living in their car, but they decided, you know, they, they grew up uh, eating out of garbage cans, but they said, this is not going to be my life. And they pushed and they went through school and they did things and they made a life for themselves. And, and all of a sudden, they went, it's the rags to riches kind of story. My family's always suffered with this, but I'm going to change that and not be uh, who they were. Uh, it doesn't mean they don't love their family, but they realize that, hey, that's not the life that I want to live. And they made a decision that I will not blame other people and just lay back and say, this is just the life I'll live. And my dad was an alcoholic, so I'll be an alcoholic. Well, that's your choice. You don't inherit alcoholism. You don't inherit it. It's a learned habit. You see it. You witness it. And you think that's all there is, and you accept it, and that's what you become. You, you choose it. You say, well, I, I'm a kid, and it's, I, I get it. I'm not saying it's not tough. I'm not saying that it's not real, what people are subjected to in households and things like that. But I am telling you that they do not have to stay that way when they can choose and consider and say, I'm not going to blame but I am going to get out of this. This is where it stops, right here. It's gone on for generations, but it will not. I will not pass it on to the generations after me. I will serve the Lord. Now, people are quick to blame others because, uh, you know, it's easy. <laughs> That's hey, it's it's much easier to just blame somebody. When we hold ourselves accountable, it means we're responsible. Then with responsibility comes work. And blaming someone else is much easier than working on ourselves. Working on ourselves is hard. When people don't want to be better and then they get caught in their wrong, well, they'll blame somebody else so they don't have to be held accountable for it. Still their choice. Secondly, blaming others is a defensive maneuver. We resist the notion that we are responsible for the pain that we have caused because if we do that, it would heap more pain on ourselves. We don't want to feel guilty, experience anxiety, or endure stress. Or maybe we do not think we could handle such things. So rather than accept responsibility, we just pass it on to someone else. When you blame others, it protects, we, we feel like it protects our self-righteousness. It makes us feel important. When we blame others, it makes us feel as though we are the good person. The woman you gave me. Be a man, Adam. Or the serpent. You got authority over it. All you had to say was, no. Stick with your first answer. God said we shall not eat of that tree or we will die. Stick with what God said. You know, but instead... You know, well, I don't want to, you know, all of a sudden Eve's like, what? Well, it was the serpent. She, she don't want to feel like, you know, I, you know, I know I was the second person in this, in this place, but hey, I don't want to feel like I'm the bad person. It was that nasty old serpent. He done it. It was him. He beguiled me, twisted everything up, and boom, before you know it, I'm munching on this fruit. Now, here we are. But to... uh 
admit that we're, they're responsible means that we are no longer justified in our thoughts or behaviors. If we admit it, that means we've got to take all the responsibility. We can no longer say I was right and they were wrong if we accept it. Fourth, blaming others means that we do not have to deal with confrontation. Many people do not like confrontation, especially those who blame a lot. Learning how and when to confront others requires embracing personal growth. As we previously stated, personal growth requires work, and so just blaming other people is much easier. And lastly, when we blame somebody else, we generate sympathy from others. Be careful when somebody, when all they do is come to you and every time they talk to you, they're blaming somebody else for what's going on in their life because they're only trying to get sympathy for themselves. They don't want to admit what they've done. They don't want to admit that it's my fault. They don't want to take their responsibility. They just want the sympathy and it reinforces the belief that we're not to be blamed. Blaming others makes people feel good because they no longer feel like anybody's against me. There are many other reasons that people could blame others rather than accepting personal responsibility. But we must move forward. We cannot move forward if we are blaming others. And now there, as we've said, this, I understand there are some who have experienced real pain, emotional, mental, even physical, that they did not cause. Some were children when things happened to them, things outside their ability to stop. But, and now listen, this is where you have to be careful. As adults, we cannot blame others for the reasons that we are hurting others. There's things going on, sure. But you cannot blame others. If you hurt other people, you can't blame that on somebody else. You cannot do that. Hurting ourselves or sabotaging our own relationships. Uh, but that's what most people do. Hurt people hurt people. That's how it is. It's a fact. People who are hurting hurt others. Misery loves company. When they're miserable, they want somebody else to be miserable as well. So to break that cycle, we must take responsibility for the decisions we make. And again, it can happen. There was a, a, a man, his name is, he's a parenting columnist. His name is John Rosemond. He said, taking responsibility for something and self-blame are horses of two entirely different colors. The former is empowering, the latter is paralyzing. And so when we take responsibility, we are empowered. We have the ability now to make a change, but when we only blame other people, we lose the power to change anything. Now, there are some great examples. Uh, I, again, these are not in, if you're looking in your, if you have one of the books and you're looking through it, these scriptures are not in there. But I, I begin to think on this, and in 2 Kings, there's some examples I want to show us here. 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 2 through 4, it says, 20 years old was Ahaz when he began to reign. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord his God like David his father. He chose to not do what David his father did. But he walked in the ways of the king of Israel. Yea, he made his son to pass through the fire. In other words, he offered a son up as a sacrifice to a, a, 
an idol, according to the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. He sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Ahaz was evil and wicked, and he was uh, causing Israel to sin more and more by his leadership. That's just who he was. But Ahaz had a son, and his name was Hezekiah. And in uh, chapter 18, the first, these verses right here, this is what it says about his son. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, he was the son of that wicked king, 25 years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, did. He didn't do like everybody else. He didn't do like all the subjects of the king, but he said, I'm going to do what's right in the sight of the Lord. He knew what David had done. He had heard of all the things in the law and how David uh, behaved himself wisely and how he would go in and out and behave himself right in front of the people. He, so he, he decided, I'm going to do the right thing. It says he removed the high places, break images, cut down the groves, break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses made. For under those days, the children of Israel did burn incense to it. He called it Nehushtan. And he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord, departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. He wouldn't do the things that the rest of the world was doing. He didn't say, I'm just going to be a wicked king and it's my daddy's fault. I'm going to worship idols and false gods because that's just, I have no choice in the matter. It's, it's my daddy's fault. It's the king's fault. You know, it's, it's God's fault for letting my dad be the king. What, he could just, if he wanted to, he could blame it all on everything else. But instead he said, I don't have to be that way. I don't have to worship like that or do those things. I can be who I am supposed to be. In 2 Kings 22, in the verses 1 and 2, it says, Josiah, did I see Joe come in here a while ago? Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 30 and one years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jediah, Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Boscath. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or the left. So you think, wow, that's great. Here's, here's a king that's just going to do great. But you know what? His father and grandfather were not like that. When you go back to chapter 21 and look in verse 2, his grandfather's name was Manasseh, and it said, And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then when you look in verse 20, you'll find about his father. His father's name was Ammon, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh did. And so even though he had a grandfather and a father, you know how many times we talk about in this culture, oh, I'm so thankful for the things my grandfather taught me and and we look up to our grandparents and things like that. But, but here's, a, here's a kid that said, 
what my granddad or my dad did was not right. And so I'm going to do what's right in the sight of the Lord. He broke that right there. It stopped with him right there. And he began to break down idols and groves and things and, and uh, brought back the reading of the law and realized, man, we're in trouble when he heard the law actually read out and he realized we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing and, and uh, he wept before God and got humble before God and, and God told him, there's still some things coming on Israel but because you humbled yourself, it's not going to get you. And, and see, that's the, he, he, he changed his life. He, he lived in a life where he had peace and he had comfort from the Lord and, and he didn't have to blame anybody and say, well, this is just how it is but I can stop it right here. And so we don't want to blame people. If we don't end the blame game, then we will lose some things in this life, some very important things. Adam and Eve found out quick the important things you can lose by blaming instead of... Who, who knows how the story would have been rewritten if they had have fallen down and they would have been the first man and woman to repent to God and seek mercy from God. How would it have been rewritten? I don't know. But I know God, many times through the scripture, when people humbled themselves before him, changed what was coming. And maybe even at that time, they would have still found themselves in the Garden of Eden. I don't know. I can't speak for what God would have done. I just know that uh, he desires to have mercy and he, it's not his will that any perish, but that all come to repentance. So I, I do know that uh, he is a merciful God. So there are some things that we might lose if we don't end the blame game. We lose healthy relationships. Blaming others is a form of putting others down. It destroys relationships. It does not build them up. Blaming others is a, and healthy communication are contrary to each other. In order for relationships to thrive, they require healthy communication. So blaming others has to go. It can't stay here because if we continue to blame others, we will lose the ability to achieve a healthy relationship because our default is just to blame. Something goes wrong, blame. You see it all the time. People have a wreck, they're going to blame somebody else. Man, that guy, he come out of nowhere. He was in my blind spot. He, you know, he swerved. It, it made me, you know, there's all, we blame, blame, blame. When we're really doing this. Oh, texting and driving, but it was their fault. They stopped short. You know, it, it blame, because we, we don't want to seem like we broke the law, because we don't want the fine. We don't want the ticket. We're trying to get out of this as unscathed as we can. Blame, blame, blame. But if we blame others, we will also lose the ability to influence other people in a positive manner. Trust is the foundation of any healthy relationship, and healthy relationships are built on good communication. If we blame others, we are resorting to the poorest of communication patterns, and it erodes trust. Once trust is gone, we have lost our ability to influence people in a positive manner. And that is why some parents will lose their ability to influence their children in a positive manner. Blaming others is destructive. It destroys relationships between friends, spouses, between parents and children. Blaming is destructive, never constructive. It's always tearing things down. But most importantly, when we blame others, 
we lose the power to change. Blaming others renders us powerless. And that's what happened to Adam because he failed to take responsibility for what he had done. He lost his power to change. He said it's Eve's fault. And if it's Eve's fault, then he, then he holds no more responsibility. And he also holds no power to do anything about it. When you blame and put it all on somebody else, well, then you, you just took yourself out of the equation. You, have, then you can't start trying to work on anything because you are saying, not me, not me. And now you can't even change because you've lost that power. You've given it up. And that's why we blame others. Considering everything we lose when we blame other people, why do we continue to do so? Ultimately, bl- ultimately blaming others is about diversion. It's about diverting attention away from what we have done. Nobody wants you to know what they have done. And if they can blame enough people, they get the eyes off of them. It, it always comes around. I was reading the scripture the other day. The Bible talked about warning us. Don't, don't be cursing the king in your bedchamber. Talking about Folks in secret said, because a little bird of the air will bring those words to you. And many times a day, those words come in the form of an email. And little birds are made out of emails, text messages. And, 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 and God lets you know, here's what's being said about you. But if they can just blame everybody else, they can take the eyes off of them. Adam was embarrassed, so he blames Eve. He feels guilty, so he tries to put the attention on Eve rather than himself. Because I don't want God. That's why he hid. He, I, don't, I don't want God to know what I've done. God shows up. Where are you at? Where are you guys at? Why did you hide? Well, we, were, we, we hid because we were, we were naked and we were afraid. And who told you you were naked? Wait, what's going on here? So he starts, you know, he, of course he knew everything, but he's, He's trying to give them the opportunity to tell it like it is. But they wanted to tell him their version of it. They need to just tell it like it is. And so that's why people blame people. They don't want the attention on themselves. They don't want to take responsibility for their own failures. Uh, we don't want to take responsibility for our shortcomings or our own issues. We blame others to divert attention away from us. And that helps us to avoid the responsibility. But when we make everybody else responsible, we become powerless. How can you ask forgiveness for something you've done wrong when you've already said, I didn't do it? Because to ask forgiveness for it, now you're saying, oh, so you did. But when you stick to your story, you lose your power for things to change. And if everybody else is at fault and we do not bear any responsibility for what we did, then we do not have the power to change anything. We have become powerless. Friend, you could grow up in a home with abusive parents, alcohol, drugs, poverty, homelessness, maybe beaten, taken advantage of. And when you become an adult, you start deciding, hey, I'm going to be verbally abusive to my family members. I'm going to just have a bad marriage. I'm just going to, and it's not my fault. It was 
my parents' fault. It was my family's fault. It was if we blame our families, then we lost all ability to enact any necessary changes. But instead of blaming others, what if we just acknowledged what happened? We then go to God and say, Lord, I am making a total mess out of my life. I have been wrong in how I've treated others and how I've acted. My thoughts have not been what they should have been. Lord, please forgive me. Please help me to change. What do you think God will say? The Bible says when we confess our faults, he's faithful to forgive us our faults. And he can begin to get us back on the right path, get us to where we need to be. But as long as it's always somebody else, never me, never me, I'll remind us that every man at his best state is altogether vanity. He said you can wash with soap and water and clean yourself but your iniquity would still be before me. I still see it all. And so we need to lose that self-righteousness and, and stop blaming others and just realize, hey, pray like the Lord asked us to pray. Forgive me my trespasses as I forgive others who trespass against me. Help me today, Lord. Forgive me for my wrong. Paul, as great as he was, said, I have not yet attained I'm not either altogether perfect. I'm not complete yet. But it's one thing I do. And that's it. We've, we've got to, we want to move forward. But we can't move forward by laying off our problems on somebody else. We've got to acknowledge that. And so that's the point we want to get today. When we blame others, we lose our ability to change. But by refusing to blame others, then we take the first step in growth. God has promised to help us if we stop blaming. If we would just stop blaming, we have the power. You can come to the music this morning. And so there's no doubt that life can be hard. And, and people have grown up in environments that some of us cannot even fathom. You know, I, I could not fathom growing up in a house where I was just beat every day or not fed or, or neglected or just locked in my room and made to, you know, there's people that go through things like that and it's awful. And sure, there's behavior that comes out of that, but it can still be changed. It can still be different because chains can be broken. Addictions can be broken. Patterns can be broken. Generational, if you want to call them curses or whatever you want to call them, can be broken. Those things, I've watched it. I've watched it over the years. I know people that are dear to my heart that I've watched them slowly turn into their parents. And it's not that their parents are just awful, wicked, ugly people, but I've watched them. You can break that cycle, you know. And I've seen them on the right path on the way to doing it. And then it's, it's tough, but it is possible. Because I have also seen people and have read testimonies and heard testimonies and watched people change their lives. Watch God 
the Holy Ghost work through them and start opening doors for them, them making the right decisions and decisions to be better. And we were just talking about Sister Maureen and, and got such a wonderful testimony. Some of you will remember she came down and stayed with Brother Brian and Sister Patty for a while and, man, just God blessed her and different things. She's, she's had some tough times, but now she's just doing so good. And She's got people calling her for prayer and, and just, uh, you know, she's just... Doors are opening. God's just blessing left and right. And, but they would tell you they worked where they're close. She had to make the decisions to change. Because saying, well, I would, I would be better, but so-and-so or so-and-so. Man, so-and-so ain't got nothing to do with your free will and your eternity. Make the choices. That's why Joshua said, choose this day who you'll serve. Man, that's not just goes from just serving the Lord. And he said he was comparing serving the Lord to serving those idols and gods that their fathers used to worship. But that you'll either serve your flesh or you'll serve the Lord. Choose who you'll serve. Make the decision. You'll 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 serve your circumstances or you'll serve the Lord. When you follow his word, it'll walk you right out of your circumstances. Walk you right. The Bible says we walk in the newness of life. It doesn't mean that storms and trials go away, but buddy, I'm going through this. I'm not, I'm not stopping. I'm not staying. It's not going to have me anymore. I'm free of that. There's, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Whom the Son makes free, he's free indeed. I, I believe the Scripture. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I just believe in the Scripture. And I believe it sets us free from all these things today. So let's make it up in our minds. To, to quit putting the blame. Just get rid of blame. You know, get rid of blame. We used to learn, we learned that. You can stand with me this morning. I know I, I reference sports a lot, but I played a lot of sports. So there's a lot of things that you learn when you have a healthy team mentality. You may lose a game because a guy let the ball go through his legs. But you never blame him for the loss. If we win as a team, we lose as a team. And every time that was something like that would happen, guy make an error, he's up, he's winning runs on third. All he's got to do is hit one in the gap. But he swinging too hard, pops. So you, you can just say, "Why did? Why didn't you? Why didn't you?" You can blame him, or you can go out there and pat him on because you know he's a good player. You know he's good. We win as a team, we lose as a team. That's just how it is. Nobody's to blame for this loss. We should have just scored more runs. You know, we, we, we always came around like that. And our team was healthy, and that's why we, we won and we played and we won and won and won and, and did all those things. We, were, we had a lot of great years together. But you, you realize that, hey, I got to do my part. I got to be responsible. What if I had gotten a hit earlier in the game? Then you would have been in this position. So it just all it works together. So just put blame out of the picture and just realize, God, I want to be mature and responsible for my life. I want to serve you in sincerity and truth. I want to walk upright before you, creating me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. Help me to love as you love, to, to forgive as you forgive and do the things, even for myself, forgive myself. And Lord, stop these generational things right now in Jesus' name.
Let's lift our hands and pray together. Lord, we love you this morning. Praise you, God, for your goodness and mercy. And Lord, tonight or today, God, we just ask you to help us, Lord, to to serve you as we should. Lord, I know that life can be hard and life can be tough, but Lord, when we trust you and walk in your ways, Lord, you've already told us we'd be above only and not beneath, the head and not the tail, God. We'd be prosperous wherever we went, God. Lord, I trust you today. And Lord, help us to lay aside blame, accept our responsibility, confess our faults, Lord, so you can forgive us and we can move forward in you. We love you. We praise you. We thank you today. God, we ask today that you help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Would you give him a hand clap of praise this morning? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now listen, don't ever be unsympathetic to someone's situation. But don't enable them either. Don't be unsympathetic because people have had hard times, have made bad choices. Don't be unsympathetic. Be compassionate, but don't be an enabler. Oh, it's all right. It's all right. Sometimes it's not all right. And it don't help them by telling them that it is. So let's love people. Have mercy and compassion like Jesus does. Amen. God bless you this morning. Let's get ready for the next service and find a place to pray. Before then, you're dismissed in Jesus' name.